Welcome to Heirloom Radio, a different kind of oldies program. I'm your host, John Lovering. On this track, we return to the incredible work of producer, director, adapter, and actor Eric Bowersfeld as he presents a series produced by KPFA Radio in Berkeley entitled The Black Mass. This is a horror supernatural anthology that ran irregularly from 1963 to 1970, dramatizing some 43 stories. The length of the episodes varied from 3 to 42 minutes in length. The tales were those of the macabre, the bizarre, the supernatural, and generally uncomfortable stories conceived and written by talented, established authors, most of which were not known for writing in such genres. Listeners will immediately recognize the high production quality of these shows, sound effects, the pacing, the chilling tales themselves all together work to present an excellent series. You won't hear a lot of action-packed scenes because the stories in the series could best be described as intellectual stories, where the mood is created through language, pacing, dialogue, and very subtle music. Generally, the series dramatized a wide range of writing styles, so not every story will please every listener. But then, there is something for everyone within the series. You will either love the story, or you may hate it, or somewhere in between. But you cannot deny that it's a very unique and extremely well-produced series. On this track, you will hear a program first aired on May 10, 1964, entitled The Death of Halpin Fraser by Ambrose Bierce, a ghost story that was originally published in 1891. Halpin dreams about a haunted forest dripping with blood and is stricken with fear. In his dream, Halpin grabs a red leather pocketbook and begins to write with blood a dark poem. But before he can write too much, he is confronted by the corpse of his mother. Starring Eric Bowersfeld, Jared Mays, and Pat Franklin. I'm John Lovering for Heirloom Radio, thanking you for your time to listen to this program and support Heirloom Radio, a different kind of oldest program. I very much appreciate it. You're awesome. Thank you. The Black Mass series was conceived by Jack Nessel and recorded in the studios of KBFA in Berkeley. Hello. Welcome to the Black Mass. We've been hoping you join us tonight. There's plenty of room in our establishment for everyone. Um, I see that most of you are standing in the outer darkness, along the walls, in the corners. Well and good. Um, But our inner circle, our chain of empathy, is not yet complete. Twelve is such an even number. Uh, We need just one more. Won't someone volunteer? Come on. It's only in spirit. (laughs) Ah, yes. You'll do nicely. Right here. On my left. Now. 
we are all set. We had originally planned tonight's story as a special offering for Mother's Day. Well, here belatedly, but with all due respect, is our adaptation of The Death of Halpin Fraser by Ambrose Bierce. For by death is wrought greater change than hath been shown. Whereas the spirit that removed itself cometh back upon occasion, and is sometimes seen as appearing in the form of the body it bore. Yet it hath happened that the body without the spirit hath walked. And it is attested that a corpse so raised hath no natural love, nor remembrance thereof but only hate. Also it is known that some spirits which in life were benign become by death evil altogether. One dark night in midsummer a man waking from a dreamless sleep in a forest lifted his head from the earth and stared a few moments into the blackness. Catherine. Catherine. He said nothing more, for he was dead. The man was Halpin Fraser, and his body was discovered the following morning by Sam Hulker, the deputy sheriff from Napa, and Jim Jarrelson, a detective from San Francisco. The two men left the town of St. Helena at the first glimmer of dawn and walked along the road northward up the valley toward Calistoga. They carried guns on their shoulders. Their business was man-hunting. How far is it? Uh, oh, it's only a little ways yet. Uh, there's a turn up ahead, and it's just beyond that. Don't see how we'll see anything when we get there. In this fog. Oh, it'll thin out and blow off around noon, I expect. Uh, then we'll, we'll wait around till he shows. Until he shows? Oh, he'll show all right, he'll show all right. I've seen him three times. Uh, Yep, not another soul knows he's on this side of the mountains. You know, from what you've been saying, the man must be insane. Ah, uh, yeah, likely, likely. You say he's been hanging around in the graveyard. Yeah, where they where they buried his wife. Uh, now, she was the weirdy. Ooh. Hmm. Well, maybe you, you can't blame him for what he did to her. Uh, but then... Uh, he sure had a lot of practice before her. Uh, she she was a widow when he met her, in fact. Yeah. Came to California to look up some relative. Uh, but you know all about that. Yeah. Strange people. Strange people. 
Uh, well, now, here we are. Uh, over here, you can see the graveyard's not, not kept up. Not used anymore. Uh, weeds all grown over the stone. Look out, you don't trip on them there. <laughs> hey, what about Branscombe? Shouldn't we watch out if he's around? Oh, no. He don't show up till dark. Uh, thought I'd show you the ground and we could make some sort of plan for later. Her, her grave, her grave's over here. He'll, he'll come by it like I saw him before. Over, over here, under, under this spruce tree. You know, it's still a mystery to me why... Hey, hey there. Hey there now. What? Hey there now, look at this. What is it? Well, is it Branscombe? No, no, it isn't him. I don't know who it is. The body lay upon its back, the legs wide apart. One arm was thrust upward, the other outward. But the ladder was bent acutely, and the hand was near the throat. Both hands were tightly clenched. The whole attitude was that of desperate but ineffectual resistance to what? Well, there's a shotgun over there. And a game bag with birds in it. It's out game hunting, yeah. right? Looks like he put up a fight, too. Yeah. See those oak shoots all bent back? Yeah, yeah somebody bigger than him, it looks. See the knee marks in the earth beside his hips there? Strangled, all right. Look at the face. Yeah. Well, it was Branscombe did it. Sure enough. Yeah. Sure enough. I... I had been all day in the hills west of the Napa Valley, looking for such small game as was in season. Late in the afternoon, it had come on to be cloudy, and the absence of trails had so impeded me that I was overtaken by night. Unable in the darkness to, to penetrate the thickets, I had lain down near the roots of a large tree and fallen into a sleep dreamless dreamless until I heard the name pronounced I couldn't imagine why from my own throat Then I, I lay down and went to sleep, but, but this time no longer dreamless. I thought I was walking along a dusty road that showed white in the gathering darkness of a summer night. 
why or where I travelled, I, I did not know. Though it all seemed simple and natural, as is the way in dreams. A side road left off. The appearance having been long abandoned because it seemed it, it, it led to something evil. Yet I turned into it without hesitation, impelled by some imperious necessity. As I, as I pressed forward, I, I became conscious that my way was haunted by invisible existences. From among the trees on, on either side, I, I caught broken and incoherent whispers, whispers in a strange tongue, which yet I, I partly understood. They, they seemed to me fragmentary utterances of a, of a monstrous conspiracy against my body and my soul. A, a shallow pool in an old wheel rut caught my eye with a, with a crimson gleam. I stooped and, and plunged my hand into it. It stained my fingers. It was blood. It was blood. Blood was everywhere about me. The weed showed it in, in blots and splashes on their leaves. Defile in the trunks of the trees were, were, were broad maculations of crimson. And, and blood dripped like dew from their foliage. All this I observed with a terror and an expectation. It, seemed to be all in expiation of some crime. I was aware of my guilt, but I couldn't remember the crime. I tried to search it out by tracing my life backward to discover the moment of sin. Scenes, scenes and incidents came crowding, one picture effacing and confusing another, but nowhere, nowhere could I catch a glimpse of the crime. I felt as if I had murdered in the dark, not knowing whom or why. Oh, so frightful was it, so noxious the plants and the trees, so, so conspiring. And from overhead, everywhere came the whispers, the whispers, sighs of creatures not of this earth. This earth, louder, louder, I could not endure it. It was a spell, it was a spell that bound all my actions. I, I, I had to break through it. it, it was choking me, it was choking me. I had to scream to break through it. I had made a beginning at resistance and was encouraged. I will not submit unheard. I will not submit unheard. There may be powers that are not malignant traveling this accursed road. I shall leave them a record. I shall leave them a record and an appeal. I shall relate the wrongs, the persecutions that I endure. I'm a helpless mortal and a penitent. I found a memorandum in my pocket. But no pencil. I had no pencil. I broke it twig from a bush and, and dipped it into a pool of blood. And, and I began to write. I wrote rapidly. Rapidly, I, I wrote my appeal, my appeal. Oh, I, I don't know where the words came from, but I wrote, I wrote, I wrote. Yeah. I seen I had hardly touched the paper with the twig when I heard her. Her. 
at first from some measureless distance away. Soulless, heartless, a curse, a strange sensation began to take possession of my, my body and, and my mind. Some overpowering presence, a malevolence, approaching me, approaching me. I could not tell from what direction, from everywhere. She was everywhere about me. I, I, I had to complete my, my record, my appeal. I wrote, I, I wrote with, with terrible rapidity, the twig rilling blood without renewal. My appeal, my appeal, my... But in the middle of a sentence, I could not move my hands. My arms fell to my sides. The paper to the earth. I was thrown about. I looked up. I looked up, staring into a face, sharply drawn face, blank, dead eyes. Standing white and silent in the garments of the grave. Kathy, mother, mother, mother. Halpin was the youngest. He was more delicate than the rest, and perhaps a trifle spoiled. His father had little time for him. His father was what no southern man is not, a politician. It took a good deal of his time, and I suppose it saved us from the war. But then later, other children were at school, and I had Halpin all to myself. I was very happy. We were both very happy. His father wanted him to study law. <laughs> oh, my law. Halpin was a dreamer, a romantic boy. I knew from the very beginning that he could be a poet. Well, well, it was in his blood. And he was the living image and character of his maternal grandfather, the late and great Myron Bain. That was my father, the famous poet, you know. He died just before Halpin was born, so they never knew each other. But I used to think that Halpin was the very incarnation, the very living image. It's true, you know, that before Halpin was born, mine was all I had. Well, that was really how it was. My husband was in politics, you know, and the children came and went with him all so fast. And it's true, I can hardly remember a one of them now. Sometimes I think there was only helping after all. And before him, Myron Bain. Oh, Myron, we always believed we'd be together again afterwards. But being alive was all we had after all, wasn't it? You see... 
My father and I were, were very close. I was his inspiration. I was all he had. The only one he ever really loved. We had a perfect sympathy that the world would never have understood. So we had to take care. We had to protect our beautiful weakness, our guilt. Then suddenly he died, and I waited in all this dark world until Halpin was born. His father wanted him to study law. <laughs> oh my! The Tennessee Frasers were a practical folk, having a contempt for any quality unfitting a man for the wholesome vocation of politics. Well, Halpin was going to disappoint them, and they could see it from the first. And what they said about him only showed their ignorance. They said he wasn't a very bright, and he was a crazy like his grandfather, Myron Bean. Oh my! Sometimes you just have to shut the whole world out, don't you? So I expect his mother spoiled him a little. You can't go blaming her for that, can you? How happy we were, Halpin and I. I—I <laughs> was still young, you know. They'd say, Halpin and his beautiful mother. Of course, from his early childhood, Halpin called me Kathy, Halpin and Kathy. No one would have known to look. They were jealous. Yes, they were of us. As our attachment became yearly stronger, more tender. By the time he was twenty-five, Halpin was the most beautiful of God's creatures on this earth. I must say, he didn't turn out to be much of a poet by then. But I knew that it might just burst out of him at any moment. He had it all in him, of course. All waiting. I tried to help him a little with his writing and reading. He was a little slow at first, but he was a dreamer, a romantic dreamer. You know, the two of us were almost inseparable, and by strangers observing our manner, we weren't infrequently taken for lovers. Oh my! In all their wild days, they'd never believed how right they were, <laughs> and we laughed at them. Halpin, we laughed at them at their outrage and envy. We knew they envied us. That element, that element in all the relations of life, strengthening, softening, and beautifying. Yes, beautifying, even those of consanguinity. Oh, Halpin, do you remember? Do you remember even a single moment? Well, then, then there was that day you left me. Halpin had taken a job with a local lumber company. Oh, he wanted to do something. Didn't want to be so dependent on me, I suppose. And this friend of his talked him into working for the Talcott and Bleecker Lumber Company. Well, he hadn't been with them a month, and then that day he came into my boudoir. I knew. I suppose I knew, Halpin. By the way you kissed me on the forehead, and toyed for a minute with a lock of my hair. Had you stopped loving me already, Halpin? 
We can't tell, can we, when someone really stops loving? Kathy. Kathy? Well, Halpin, I have a distinct feeling that there's something on your mind. What is it, Halpin? Oh, Kathy, would you, would you greatly mind if I were called away to California for a few weeks? To California? It's for the company, Kathy. Mr. Talcott himself asked me to do this. California is far away. How many weeks? Only a few, Kathy. Four. Maybe five. Well, helping. It is hardly needful for me to answer with my lips a question to which my telltale cheeks have already made reply. Evidently, I would greatly mind. Oh, Kathy, Kathy. Don't feel that way. I, I want to do this. For the company, you know. Yes. You want to get away, Halpin. I no. know. I know. Oh, my dear son. I should have known this was coming. Didn't I lie awake half the night weeping because during the other half, Myron Bain, your grandfather, came to me in a dream and standing by his portrait, young, too, and handsome as that, he pointed to your portrait on the same wall. And when I looked, it seemed that I could not see the features. You have been painted with a cloth over your face. A cloth such as we put on the dead. Your father has laughed at me when I've told him about my dreams. But you and I, dear, we know that such things are not for nothing. And how been? I saw below the edge of the cloth the marks of Hands on your throat. Oh, Halpin, forgive me, but we've not been used to keep such things from each other. Perhaps you have a different interpretation of my dream, Halpin. Perhaps it does not mean that you will go to California. Or, or maybe you take me with you. That's such a strange dream, Kathy. You dreamed all that before. Didn't tell me. Well, now you know, Halpin. I remember hearing that there are medicinal springs in California, places where one recovers from rheumatism and neuralgia. Well, now, that might do me some good. M my fingers have grown so stiff lately. You, you see, Halpin? So stiff, especially in the morning. I'm almost sure they have been giving me great pain while I slept. Like they was grasping something and, and just couldn't let go. Like a throat, Kathy. Like a throat when you hold them like that. Oh, but that's only in a dream, Alpin. And we don't want to mistake a dream for real life. No, Kathy. No. We don't ever want to take a chance of mistaking a dream that way. was the last thing you ever said to me, Halpin. Seems I remember it as. You were gone next morning. Couldn't see you for dust. Oh, Halpin. At first I thought it was in a dream you left me, and I couldn't wake out of it hard as I tried. My poor hands never straightened out. They tried to find you in all their emptiness. You never wrote. 
You just vanished like you never was. Oh, oh my. I came all the way to California looking for you. A long while in San Francisco, someone said you'd gone to sea. So I watched the ships and the sailors. I thought each one was you, Halpin. I made believe they were because I, I wanted to wake up out of my dream. Then a very mean man, a very mean man indeed, took me up here to the mountains, and we lived a while torturing each other. <laughs> I hid all his stolen money in the graveyard. Still looking for it, I suppose. Oh, he was very mean to me, Halpin. He, he had a little knife, which he kept sharp as a razor. Kathy. Look, Halpin. Kathy. Look at me. Kathy, See what he did? <laughs> he, he said he, he wanted to find the spot that hurt the most. <laughs> but nothing hurt, Halpin. Nothing hurt. Kathy. Nothing hurt anywhere. Only the memory. And he couldn't find the right spot for that. See? But he got very close one dark night. See, Halpin? My delicate white throat. See how he cut with his razor knife from this ear to that ear. It, it never stopped bleeding, Halpin. Oh, you, you'd never believe how much blood could be stored up in one soulless body. See it, Halpin? Keeps me strong Keep enough to come to you. Keep and away from bring me, these aching hands no. to your own no, warm, dear no. throat. Kathy, no. See no. me helping. Kathy. See no. what's gone out of me. No, Kathy. Get away. Kathy. Oh, my. Kathy, no. Oh, please. Oh, love. Gone out of me. To Jaronson and Holker, the nature of the struggle was made clear by a glance. The face and throat were purple, almost black. The shoulders lay upon a low mound, and the head was turned back at an angle otherwise impossible. From the froth filling the open mouth, the tongue protruded black and swollen. The throat showed terrible contusions, not mere finger marks but bruises and lacerations wrought by two strong hands that must have buried themselves in the yielding flesh, maintaining their terrible grasp until long after death. Uh, the work of a maniac, all right. Branscombe LaRue. Hey, look here. Uh, Looks like he was writing something in a memorandum pad. Uh, Pretty scrawly. Mm. Well, I guess under the circumstances, can you make it out? Oh, well. Yeah. It's 
poetry looked like. Um, the air was stagnant all, and silence was a living thing that breathed among the trees. Hmm. Huh. Uh, with blood, the trees were all adrip. God. The spell, unbroken, still, rested on my spirit and my will. You know, that sounds like Bane. Bane? Who's Bane? Myron Bane, a poet, half a century ago. Now, why should a, this poor fellow want to be copying down that dismal stuff? Uh, dismal, all right. Well, in a way, I guess it figures. You have been listening to The Death of Halpin Frazier by Ambrose Bierce. The technical production for tonight's broadcast was by John Whiting. The music sound effect was specially composed and arranged for this program by Peter Winkler. The story was adapted and performed by your host of the Black Mass, Eric Bowersfeld, with Bernard Mays as Geraldson and the part of Catherine played by Pat Franklin. This series was conceived by Jack Nessel and recorded in the studios of KPFA in Berkeley.